This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, March 9th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, former Vice President Joe Biden visits the capital city ahead of Tuesday's primary. And the latest Mason-Dixon poll breaks down the Senate race and the governor's approval rating. Then, after bite-sized tech, how early childhood education could stimulate Mississippi's economy. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden was in Mississippi this weekend, visiting a Baptist church and holding a campaign rally ahead of Tuesday's primary election. Hundreds filled Tougaloo College's Kroger gym for the former vice president's rally yesterday. Actress Vivica Fox and former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick came to support him. Mississippi Congressman Benny Thompson made the introduction. Biden appealed to voters' desire to elect a nominee who could beat Republican incumbent Donald Trump. If you want a nominee who will beat Donald Trump, keep the House of Representatives, win back the United States Senate, join us. You want a nominee who's actually a Democrat, a lifelong Democrat, a proud Democrat, an Obama-Biden Democrat, join us. You want a nominee who's going to bring this party together, who will run a positive, progressive vision for America and not turn this primary into a campaign of negative attacks because that will only re-elect Donald Trump. Join us. Look, folks, we're building a coalition of the most successful president banking on his all the progress he had and increasing the most successful president in the lifetime of anybody in this room, Barack Obama. And we're doing this by bringing together America's very race, ethnicity, gender, and economic station. Democrats, Republicans, and independents of every stripe. The rally attracted voters from throughout the Jackson metro area. Brandon resident Jason McCarty tells MPB's Desiree Frazier Biden's stop in Mississippi resonated with him. And I spoke volumes to the people of Mississippi that Joe Biden came. Um, he rallied. It was a great, great momentous thing. I had the honor of being right up front, so I felt like he was talking directly to me. And I think Mississippians are going to get behind him on Tuesday. We're all going to go out and vote, and I think he's going to win in November. What are the issues that he speaks about that resonate with you? You know, he spoke a lot about education. I think especially in Mississippi, that's been something that we've been battling with, even in our state house. So to see a national person talk about education and funding education, the student debt. I mean, we are dying in student debt loans in this country. Um, and just the overall, just bringing the people back together. I think we've lived in three years of decisive Donald Trump, um, that he has torn apart people in our country. And just to hear words of encouragement that he actually wants to bring people back together um, is very powerful for me. And I think he 
could get the job done. I think Republicans, Democrats, and independents all need to come together and elect Joe Biden as our next president. Do you think he can be the Democratic nominee? I think he will be the Democratic nominee. And I also think he's a nominee that can bring Republicans and independents over. You know, I think when I had to make a hard decision who I was going to support between Sanders, um, Senator Sanders and him, um, I have to look at Joe Biden as saying that I think Republicans will come over. They see someone, they see someone that they know, they see someone that they trust, and they see someone that stood by President Obama for eight years as a very faithful leader, um, and he was very involved with foreign policy, and I think that we need someone that we can trust again. Were you surprised at Super Tuesday? I was surprised at Super Tuesday. Um, it was a good surprise um, to see the votes turn like they did. And let's be honest, you know, I look at the states that Bernie Sanders won. He won Colorado. Colorado was decided months ago. They had a ballot that they mailed in. So live votes matter. And we saw on Tuesday that live votes can come to the polls. And they voted for Joe Biden. I see Mississippi's going to do the same on Tuesday. The former vice president also emphasized the need for healing. Presidents have to heal. Presidents cannot hold grudges. Presidents have to bring us together. We must beat Donald Trump and the Republican Party, but we cannot become like them. That message resonated with Jackson voter Ashley Hollins. I've been in support of Joe Biden since he entered the race. And, of course, we know that a lot of people feel like he's running off of what he did with uh, President Obama. But I feel like him and President Obama Obama together did wonderful things. So why not support someone that we're familiar with, someone that we know will bring change to not only our state but to the nation as, as a whole? What did you think about what you heard him discuss today? He talked about bringing the nation together, uh, uh, expanding the Affordable Care Act, making changes in education, paying teachers more. And one one of the biggest things I think, well, two of the biggest things I think that he talked about was, one, his support for HBCUs. Though myself, I never went to an HBCU for either undergrad or graduate school, but I do support HBCUs and the things that they do around this nation and how important they are for people of color to be able to be themselves in their own spaces. Another thing that really stuck out to me that he said was, when we get this, when he gets the Democratic nomination, when he wins this presidency, for us not to, as Democrats, not to uh, conform to what the Republicans have done. He he said he will not run a race off of slander. And I think that's really big because that's something that our current president does a lot of. He slanders people on Twitter. He slanders people in the media constantly. And um, there's a better way to win a race. Do you think that he can win the nomination against Bernie Sanders? I actually do. A lot of people are scared because Bernie has the young vote. I think a lot of things that we have to take in consideration, though Bernie has good policies that he says that he can bring an act bring into the White House. Can he actually do it? Will Congress support him doing it? Will, will he be able to get the Senate and the House to turn back blue? And I don't think he has that on his back, but I think Joe Biden definitely does. Biden also outlined the rest of his campaign's agenda, including making health care affordable, increasing funding for education and combating climate change. Senator Bernie Sanders was scheduled to speak in Jackson Friday, but canceled to focus on campaigning in Michigan. Surrogates for the senator, including Jackson's mayor, Shokwe Lumumba, and actor Danny Glover campaigned for the candidate over the weekend. Coming up, the latest Mason-Dixon poll breaks down the Senate race and the governor's approval rating. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
Hi, guys. This is Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm inviting you to tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for quick, easy ways to incorporate healthy lifestyle into your daily routine. Be sure to tune in Mondays at 11 for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Democratic presidential primary is taking top billing for Tuesday's primary elections, but voters will also decide who will be on the ballot for one of Mississippi's Senate seats for the 2020 general election. Three Democrats are running for the opportunity to challenge Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith. 2018 challenger Mike Espy is expected to secure that nomination again. And the latest Mason-Dixon poll looks at how a potential rematch might shape up. Brad Coker is the managing director of Mason-Dixon Polling and Strategy. He breaks down the Senate race and Governor Reeves' approval rating with our Michael Guidry. Uh, Right now, they're looking pretty similar. Uh, Statewide, we have Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith drawing 53 percent of the vote and Democrat Mike Espy at 43 percent, 4 percent undecided. And that's relatively close to the margin that uh, she had in the special election two years ago. So... uh, I don't see anything significantly uh, changing, um, you know, if things hold their course. And uh, with President Trump at the top of the ticket, that's probably a, a pretty solid boost for Hyde Smith as well. Looking at the split party-wise, SB is 88% of the Democrats, Republicans are uh, 89% with Hyde Smith. And then the independent split is, is interestingly, a, a good swing towards SB. But overall, is it just the, uh, the fact that, hey, this is a heavily Republican state that makes up for that gap in independent voters? Yeah, the margin among independents is, is relatively small. Um, uh, he would probably, you know, obviously he would need to have a much larger advantage among independents. Uh, yeah, Republicans are now, uh, at least people who identify themselves as Republicans, are now about 45 percent of the voters in Mississippi, and uh, compared to only about 32 percent who identify as Democrat. So there's a very large Republican identification advantage in Mississippi. And uh, so 89% of the Republican vote is much larger than 88% of the Democratic vote, even though the percentages are pretty similar. And then independents are slightly less than 25% of the vote. So, uh, you know, SB would need to probably run that up closer to two to one among independents to make up for the the gap in uh, party identification that the Democrats, uh, the disadvantage that they're at now. Connecting this race to the top of the ticket, is there a, a more positive result um, when it comes to the Democratic primary between the two front runners, Biden and Sanders? Uh, is there a is there a preferred outcome there for for a Mike Espy victory in in November? Well, uh, you know, as we saw, Joe Biden run stronger in the general election than Bernie Sanders by a pretty significant margin. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think down ballot, uh, SB's chances, uh, you know, outside at best right now would be uh, increased with uh, Joe Biden leading the Democratic ticket. Um, and I think one of the fears that the Democratic uh, establishment nationally has had is that uh, Bernie Sanders would hurt their candidates running for Senate, running for Congress, running for other down-ballot offices. And uh, I would suspect that if Sanders were the nominee, uh, SB uh, would uh, be 
damaged uh, uh, in Mississippi. I, you know, I think it would just pretty much uh, end it right out of the gate. Switching to uh, the one of the other the other thing you polled uh, in February was the approval rating of of the new governor Tate Reeves, a fifty percent approval rating across the board, thirty two percent disapproval rating, eighteen percent not sure. How does this compare to the standard trends in Mississippi as far as gubernatorial polling goes? Well, uh, certainly uh, he's only been in office for a short amount of time. So the fact that 18 percent don't give him a score yet is not surprising. Um, But if you take a look at the numbers of the people who do actually uh, have have a feeling one way or the other, you know, 50 percent approval, that's pretty close to the percentage of the vote he got uh, last November. So, you know, he's basically held on to his supporters. Uh, disapproval, 32 uh, percent. You know, it's concentrated primarily among Democrats and African-American voters, you know, where he lost in the last election. So th- th- this doesn't surprise me. But, uh, you know, there is, uh, you know, his support among uh, Republicans is only 79 percent, which, uh, you know, might suggest there's still some uh, lingering splits among Republicans that go back to the uh, contested primary, and then obviously the runoff uh, election that followed. So uh, his numbers are they're decent. Uh, we'll see a year from now where they are, but he's certainly not in the same territory that uh, Phil Bryant was in, uh, where his approval rating was uh, hovering in the high 60 percent. Comparing the governor's approval ratings within the party to that of the president within the party, 94 percent of Republicans in Mississippi approve of the president. But as you mentioned, that drops to 79 when we're talking about Republicans' approval of the governor. Tate Reeves closely aligned himself with with President Trump during during this election. How do you account for the the gap there between the Republicans' approval of Trump and the Republicans' approval of their governor in Mississippi? Well, I think you would just look at the percentage of the vote that each received uh, when they ran when they were on the ballot last. Uh, you know, Reeves got uh, you know low fifty percent. Uh, I think Trump's numbers were closer to sixty. I, I would have to look that up, but I suspect President Trump carried Mississippi by a much wider margin than Tate Reeves did. Uh, well, I know I know that. I just don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. So, you know, I, I think it's just reflective in that Trump is just simply more popular than Reeves. And it's, you know, in a lot of places that's, uh, that's typical among Republicans, even in states where you have very popular Republican governors, for some reason the, the president always runs a little bit ahead of the, even the most popular governors in the country. Brad Coker. Managing Director of Mason-Dixon Polling and Strategy. Uh, Thank you for, for sharing some of that insight, Brad. We appreciate it. Yep, enjoyed it myself. Coming up after Bite Size Tech, how early childhood education could stimulate Mississippi's economy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Welcome to this week's Bite Size Tech. I'm Jay White. On this episode, a caller from California runs into problems when the size of Windows and its many, many, many updates have grown to beyond the size of her laptop's hard drive. Everyday Tech's Jeremy Thompson takes it from there. 
Let's go to the phones. We have Shelby from Sacramento, California to start us today. Shelby, thanks for calling. Hey, thanks for taking my question. I have an Asus laptop with a very small solid-state hard drive, and so I added an SD card, uh, and I'm saving to the SD card. All of that's working, but the uh, Windows update will not recognize it, so I can't update my Windows 10. Um, It keeps saying that I don't have anywhere to put this new update. So is there anything I can do to either make it recognize or some other some way I can get around it so so that I can update my windows? So uh, this is definitely something that I caution people about when we talk about buying a newer computer. Those cheap little HP and Asus laptops, I don't know, it's probably about 199 bucks or so. Um, mm-hmm. Those those solid state drives are barely big enough to hold Windows and a few updates, and you can't put the Windows updates on an SD card. You're going to have to move any any other additional information that you can over to the SD card to make room for the Windows updates. And if there's just not room, unfortunately, it's just not a big enough drive. And I I strongly recommend against purchasing these for this exact issue. I help people with this every week in my shop. And it is not going anywhere because Windows 10 is only getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay, well that helps. Thank you so much. I hate to be so doom and gloom about it, but <laughs> oh, okay. we have we have tried so many times to actually go in and wipe those solid state drives and reinstall Windows. Mm-hmm. There's not enough space on it to allow it to do that. It's it's a catch 22. There's there, it, like it's mm-hmm. stuck in limbo because there's not enough. You can't free up enough data on it to do anything. And when your drive is so full that your data can't move, it just makes your whole computer just act crazy. Well, I'm just glad it's not me, so I appreciate it. (laughs) It's not you, Shelby, 100%. Have a great day. For more tech news, fixes, insight, and more, listen to MPB's Everyday Tech. The show is on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the MPB Public Media app. That's free in the iTunes and Google Play stores. And the show airs live Wednesday mornings at 10, right here on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A new study from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation reveals how improvements in early childhood education could contribute millions to Mississippi's economy. The study found that Mississippi loses an estimated $673 million annually for the state's economy. Scott Waller is the president and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council. He tells us where these economic losses come from and how early childhood education could change those figures. It comes in a variety of ways. It comes it comes from uh, absentees due to the inability to have child care. It, it comes from, you know, uh, the one thing the one thing that sh- stuck out to me in this report more than anything else was the fact that the large number of students who have had to disrupt their education in order to deal with, you know, child care issues 
and, and when we say child care, what we're talking about is quality child care that has a strong educational component to it. And when you have that type of interruption, it really does make it difficult for us to be giving our workforce the skills that they nece- that they need uh, to to think about where they need to go from a you know making sure that they're you know doing it and even just regardless of what that number is we need to be focusing on how can we make sure that that's that's something we're considering when we're talking about having a quality child care available that that includes that educational component so actually there are two big elements to this report and to this goal Um, as you said strengthening the workforce so that parents of children can concentrate on their work, knowing that their children are being taken care of, but also that the children are learning, as you said, to set them up so that they're, they have a good start so that when they grow up, they'll get a good job or career. Do I have that right? Yeah, you, you, you're, you're pretty much dead on. And, and I think that's where, that's where it all begins, because that's why this matters today, and it matters, very much matters in the future. Think about it from a 100-yard a football field. Okay, that's the gap. Well, over the last few years, thanks to the early childhood collaborative building blocks before that, all of the Excel by five programs, all of the things that the private sector has been involved in, we've seen that we've seen that go from a hundred to maybe, you know, cut fifteen yards off of it and now we're at, at eighty five yards. So we haven't we we're, we're we still have a gap. We're not saying that we've solved all the problems. What we're saying is we're making progress. We're making incremental progress. This program is working in terms of preparing our our students. The problem is we just got to figure out a way to get it, grow it, make it bigger, to get it to more people, to eventually get it. And in in most cases, these collaboratives are not a you know a thirteenth. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, fourteenth grade, if you will. They're more being done through the private sector with support of the funding from the state with the collaborative support of the local business community to put into it. So those are the kind of things that that's in a different approach. You know, the collaborative awarding of the grants and all that's overseen by the department, but it in in the quality of education is measured by the department, but it's a start. It is, it is something that has made a difference, and I think long-term, the more we can do on that aspect of it, the the better we will be. Because you said private businesses would be involved with this, does it make sense or is it feasible to think that larger employers in the state can provide that uh, educational slash child care for their employees' children? You know, I think there's some opportunities there. I really do. When you have companies that are similar located in, you know, a geographic area that the possibility of them kind of combining to do something for their employees becomes feasible and, and by that you know think think for a moment of you know if you're in an area that's got five or six um, you know just say automotive supplier plants you know it might not be feasible for a single company to do something but it might be feasible for four or five of them to go together and, and do it and and the other part of that too is you think about us being a rural state and how a lot of our folks have to travel you know 30 45 minutes to get to work uh 
Well, then you, if you've got a child care issue, you've got to, one, you've got to fight, you got to drop them off somewhere, and then you've got to go to work, and you're likely going to be 30, 45 minutes away from them. And it, it's all those things that contribute to the issue of, of making sure your child is taken care of. You know, think think for a moment if you did something like that in a collaborative effort, and uh, all of a sudden your, your child care facility was only five minutes away from where you're you're going to be all day long. That that gives the serene greater peace of mind. Scott Waller is the president and CEO of Mississippi Economic Council. Scott, thank you so much for being with us. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.